0: to honor God's Word as we read it. If you would please turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, continuing this series, Lessons from a Lockdown. And we'll begin reading in verse number 10. We'll preach, the Lord willing, we'll preach at least one more message from the book of Philippians. At least one more out of, out of this chapter, this is message number six, Philippians chapter four, verse number ten. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity." Skip down, if you would, please, to verse number 14. Paul is almost giving a parenthesis, some explanation about himself and about God's work in his life um, as the provision for him from others would fluctuate. And we'll deal with that, the Lord willing, next week. But continuing with the thought of verse number 10 and verse number 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift. Paul Paul wasn't greedy, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so the thought for tonight, the, the title of the sermon is this, don't quarantine investing. We are in a season right now where much activity and we hopefully are coming out of it and to whatever degree our economy and our way of life recovers uh, hopefully we are coming out of this but there's been a lot of limitations that have been put upon people and uh, I'm not even talking about whether or not I agree with all of them or what I or you might think about them there's been a lot of limitations that have been put on, on people in this country, people around the world, on God's people. Uh, one of the dangers is that our investment through the fluctuations of life can cease. They can be put on quarantine. And we see some reminders here tonight to help us continue investing in the work of God for the sake of his gospel, and for the sake of people, for the sake of eternity. So I trust this will be a help by the grace of God to us tonight. Let's pray, and then you can be seated. Father, thanks for the time tonight, and I ask that you would please help me in all the ways that I need it. Father, even ways that I'm not aware, and that you would use an imperfect vessel to communicate perfect and eternal truth, and that you would help each of us to be receptive and responsive. Help us to have clarity in our understanding. And and God, help us to be honest as your Spirit deals with us through the Word of God. Would you please help us to be honest and to be encouraged? Lord, I, I don't believe that every sermon is meant to bring conviction in every every single time. Sometimes it's meant to bring encouragement. And so whatever it is that your people need, would you please provide it for them tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. For many, you might not have heard of this battle in the Civil War, but as you study the history of the Civil War, this one was very significant. It was. It's referred to as the fight for the Weldon Railroad. And it occurred um, around August 18th through the 21st in 1864 as uh, General Grant and General Lee led their respective armies in battling for this strategic location. The Weldon Railroad was extremely critical to the Confederate Army and it connected Richmond to the south's last Atlantic port in Wilmington, North Carolina. And on August 18, 1864, the, the Union Army captured the Weldon Railroad that was so critical to those forces. The three days of fighting uh, that ensued cost the Union Army over 4,000 casualties, and the Confederate Army lost between 1,600 and 2,300 men. It's, it's not, if you're not um, into history, perhaps you've never heard of this battle. It doesn't have the historical fame of battles like Fredericksburg or Gettysburg. But it was very critical uh, to the outcome of the war or to at least how long the war would go. And uh, the Union victory denied the Confederate Army access to supplies that were coming from the south and compelled them to patch together a makeshift line of communication. You see, what General Grant and General Lee both understood, that regardless of their determination or their military strategies or expertise, regardless of the resolve of the men that followed them respectively, they, they were not islands unto themselves, that they, there was a dependency on supplies soldiers required supplies communication and information was necessary and in order for those supplies and in order for that communication to get from the point where it was to the point to where it was needed and could be put to use in these battles there had to be a consistent supply chain that would help to transport those supplies or to communicate that information And when the Union Army was able to interrupt that supply chain, it marked a significant victory for the Union Army. Now, just just like General Grant and General Lee, respectively, were not islands in their efforts to wage war during the Civil War, there is a much more significant war that is going on, and it's the war for eternal supremacy in the hearts of people. It's the war of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a war that Paul, after he was saved and called of God, he was fully committed to. But even Paul, with all of his commitment and all of his resolve, Paul recognized this, that he was not an island unto himself. He was an incredible evangelist and witness and missionary. And the Bible Chronicles some amazing experiences that he had, and some incredible trials and difficulties that he went through, and some tremendous obstacles that he overcame. And yet, he was singular, through all of that. He was singularly focused on the work of the gospel and finishing his course and keeping the faith of Jesus Christ. But even Paul, with all Of the power of God that was upon him. And the enabling grace that he received and depended upon. And uh, his deep and burning commitment to the work of the gospel. And his unrelenting desire that people everywhere would know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In spite of all of that, Paul recognized in order to be effective, I need stuff. Okay, for example... Paul still needed to eat. Paul needed supplies. Paul had to have certain resources. Paul had to have money to provide travel for fare. Paul needed clothes. You think about all of the beatings that Paul went through. Man, No doubt his clothes often were tattered and were torn up. And those things had to be replenished and had to be replaced. He was writing letters constantly And he was making different ministry efforts over and over and over again. And so in order for the work of God to be as effective as it could be, Paul was dependent upon investment. Now, Paul was not a lazy man. Far from it, just his work ethic in the ministry is astounding. But in addition to that, he had a trade on the side that he did in order to supplement and support the ministry where he could that was at a tent maker, but that wasn't the most ideal means, wasn't the most effective means for the work of God to go on. And so if it was going to be as effective as it possibly could be, he depended, and it's dealt with in this, the context of this chapter specifically, he depended on the financial support of those he invested in spiritually. Now, this is not what the message is about tonight but this is a good opportunity to remind us all that there ought to be a willingness to invest in physically those who invest in us spiritually that is a biblical concept that is God's idea and that idea was established in the old testament and it's confirmed in the work and in the life of new Te- of the new testament in the life of God's churches and so Paul is being honest here that there, needs to be, there needed to be an investment so that he could continue the work of the gospel. Now there were times, you go back and you study his epistles, that he refused financial investment from certain churches because they would have held it over his head, like the church at Corinth. And they would have used that to kind of manipulate him or to somehow put him in a box about what he could preach, what he could and couldn't do, what he could and could not say. And so he refused it from them because it would have been a stumbling block to them. But it was still something that he depended on. Now, the church that he's writing at here at Philippi was one that had been very faithful and generous in investing in him on previous occasions. It says in verse number 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me have flourished again. They had made some sort of financial investment. There were needs that they helped minister to. And you can find in other places that at times it was even out of poverty. But that that investment had ceased for a time. Notice verse number 10 again. That your care of me have flourished again. The, that, I, the idea of that word flourished is like a tree budding again, or a plant bringing forth fruit again. And so there was a time, for whatever reason, that it it had ceased. It had been interrupted. Their investment in him had been interrupted. But now, they're beginning to do it again. Well, Paul references in verse number 10 that there was a reason why their investment ceased. He said, wherein you were also careful, meaning you're thoughtful about this, but ye lacked opportunity. Something happened where they did not have the opportunity to invest for a time as they had or as they desired, but an interruption came along and prevented that, but now they're beginning to invest in him again. And so Paul is writing this as a reminder and an encouragement to them, and we'll understand why. In a few minutes, he would find it necessary to encourage them. And the reminder is this, that ministering to people is dependent upon the investment of God's people. That ministry to people must have the investment of God's people. In order for those who require investment, someone must make the investment. For instance, the lost do not preach the gospel to themselves. The, the people in Alaska who don't know Jesus Christ are not going to make that spiritual investment in themselves. Someone of God's people must go and make that investment. Um, our bus ministry does not make an investment in itself. Uh, families that we're able to reach through that ministry don't invest that in themselves. That investment must be made by God's people in that ministry. I think about our teachers who minister to our children right now through the tremendous uh, classes that are being recorded and posted on Facebook. uh, These kids don't minister those classes to themselves. Someone must minister to them in that way. I think I'll reference this again, so don't get bored with it. I think about the live stream ministry that um, uh, for a time I just felt like I was tolerating it and cringing every time I thought about that people could see this and now I'm thankful that we, I'm so thankful that we already had this in place and that people have worked. That doesn't just happen on its own. People have to make an investment to keep it going. And Paul wants the Philippian believers to remember that ministering to people is dependent upon people, God's people, making an investment. There must be an investment of time. You, God's people must be willing to commit time. There must be a... Investment of effort, meaning the effort to invest requires work. There must be an investment of resources, of finances. The danger is that we quarantine our effort to minister to people. Sometimes, like it was in verse number 10 that Paul references, he wasn't rebuking them. And he references this. I know, he would say, I know that there was a lack of opportunity. Sometimes there is a lack of opportunity. But let's just be honest. For us today, who have no idea how difficult it was to be a believer in those days, let alone just a citizen of the earth in those days, that many times for American believers, it's not a question of opportunity. It's a question of willingness and effort. Many times, the investment isn't being made, not because there's a lack of opportunity, but because on our part, there is a lack of willingness and there is a lack of effort. And we must understand that just like the supply trains were critical to the outcomes of battles and wars, the supply train of investment in the work of God is critical to the outcome in the work of God. So Paul gave truth to encourage the Philippians to continue to minister. And these same truths can be helpful to us as we minister through some very unusual and what can be some very limiting circumstances. Number one, this is a little bit repetitive, but it's helpful to understand the nuance of this. Number one, in verse number 16, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Number one. The investment of God's people must be recurring. You see, it's not I do it once and then I'm done. It's not that we send one mission support check and then we're done. And if missionaries only received one support check per church, they would not be on the mission field very long. That ministry to invest that money in our missionaries must happen over and over and over and over. And you get the idea. And as long as they're going to be on the field, that money money must be given to enable them to be on the field. I think about the ministry of praying, one of the most critical ministries that there is. And more than we need what we can do, we need what God can do in us and what God can do through us and what God can do without us. We need His involvement But our prayer must be like the woman who was afflicted by the unjust judge. And day and night she called out for him to avenge her of her adversary. And because she called out over and over and over, then the unjust judge finally responded. Not because he cared for her, but because of her recurring prayer. God responds to the recurring prayer of his people. You say, how often do I have to pray about these things? Until you no longer have life or until the opportunity is no longer there. Until the need is met or until you understand that God is doing something different. But you do it over and over and over again. Talk about participation. I'm so grateful for Brother Z and Brother Patrick and their investment. Every single service, these two men have been back there. Unseen. And yet extremely critical. And you think about the Winchesters and, and the drive that it takes them to get here. And you say, how many, how many times am I going to have to make this drive, Pastor? Over and over and over and over and over. I think one of the things that, just, if I can just complain a little bit in a right way, if there is such a thing, let me moan. Man, Our I, I've mentioned this before. Our last Sunday here, before this all started, we had an amazing choir practice. Oh man, it was it was money. And for all of you involved in that, I'm telling you, I got great expectations, by the grace of God, if he's willing, that that's going to be happening again, sooner rather than later. Man, it's going to be money. It's going to be on. And by the grace of God, you're going to get to enjoy what I got to enjoy for just For just one practice, I'm thankful for that. And you say, what does it take to make a choir successful and to help it be effective and to help it to consistently minister and to minister? Because we don't want to just sing a song. We want to sing at a high level, not so we can make a name for ourselves, but because our God is worthy of being sung about at a high level. You say, how does that happen? Because you practice over and over and over and over and over again. say, how is it that the gospel is going to affect the hearts of people? Because most of the time, people don't get saved just one time after hearing the gospel. Sometimes that happens, but more often than not, especially as our culture grows increasingly more skeptical, and uh, as different elements of Christianity continue to manipulate the gospel for their own gain, and as ministries try to use people rather than serving people, then people are just skeptical and critical and they're ignorant of the things of God and so you have to witness over and over and over and over again. And I, th- I think about the baby boom that continues to go on at West Valley Baptist Church and I'm thankful for it. And the Lord willing, we will, by the grace of God, return to having a nursery in, in God's good time according to His grace. You say, how do I, how are we going to continue to to work through all of those things and minister to children and to babies as the opportunities open back up we're just going to do it by people being faithful over and over and over and over again you say how how can the Word of God be preached consistently and how can people be helped by the truth of God because people have to commit a pastor has to commit and to and teachers have to commit to studying and to preparing. Over and over and over again. And for the life of a pastor, as soon as you finish one sermon, you are on to the next sermon. And as soon as you finish one Sunday, you're on to the next Wednesday. And as soon as you finish the Wednesday, you're on to the next Sunday. And it's over and over and over again. investment, the investment of God's people must be recurring. It's not one and done. It's doing it. Again, and again, and again. Number two, investment has, the investment of God's people has eternal implications. Look at verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now there's a bunch of snakes and charlatans that make these ridiculous promises that if you you sow this seed right now, then I'm going to send you some kind of anointed prayer cloth Or, I'm going to make this promise to you, and God is going to do this for you. We have no right to claim that. That is against the truth of the Word of God. And so many people have fallen prey to that kind of false teaching. Now, this is what we do know that God does bless the generosity of His people. And many of you have experienced that. But God's rewards are not just temporal or physical, many of the rewards that are received, are laid up in eternity. I'm so thankful for this in verse number 17, that God is keeping a record of every investment that you make. Paul was aware of this. He said, I desire fruit that may abound to your account, that there is an account that God is keeping record of and, and while I may not be able to go to a place like Alaska, I can give so that someone else can go to a place like Alaska and minister in those islands and navigate those waterways. And, and our church can give so that a boat can be purchased in order to take the gospel from one village to another village and so that people can hear the eternal truth. We may not be able to tell them, but we can make an investment. And, that, and whatever comes out of that, that is fruit that abounds to our account. And every time the gospel is preached, regardless of the response to it, that is fruit that abounds to our account. God is keeping record of those investments. And can I remind you that sometimes we get, we get focused on the physical return. The greatest reward is people. Now, God promises rewards. He tells us that there will be varying degrees and levels of rewards when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ based on how we've lived our lives and how we've served Him. But we'll be able to take those rewards and give them back to Him, cast them at His feet because He's worthy of that. And it all comes out of Him anyway. But the greatest reward is going to be people. Being in heaven. That we were able to invest in. And I understand the sacrifice can be heavy right now. But when you stand before God. And you see people that are there. By the grace of God because he used your investment. To give them the gospel. Then you're not going to regret one single investment that you made. It has eternal implications. Number three verse number 18. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. And then notice what he says, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So many times we have a, our our focus on our investment is limited only to the physical realm. and And we only see the human instrument, we only see the physical building, we only see... the the physical minister. We only see the physical ministry. We only see the physical need. But every time you invest, if you do it the right way with the right heart, you are doing it for God. And notice what it says. It's it's an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. People in that day would have been Familiar with the process of offering sacrifices or burning incense. In the Old Testament, it was commanded by God and incorporated there. The Jewish establishment was trying to continue it after it had been done away with. Uh, Many under the Roman rule would have been familiar with burning incense to false gods. But after Jesus Christ died, God no longer requires sacrifices because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice But he still allows us to give him offerings out of a heart that loves him and appreciates him. And we can give him offerings by way of our investment. I I love this idea. That I I can take a portion of money that God blesses me with. And I can literally give it to God in a way that this text says is pleasing to him. That I can visit people. And, and try to minister to people in a way that God says is pleasing to him. That I can make an effort. That I can pour myself into something in a way that God says he receives. And it pleases him. It's acceptable to him. You think about when your children make an effort on your behalf. I think about... Christmas last year, and how Alexandra and the other children participated in this, and there was a coordinated effort on their part, and they solicited some help and and they made an they made an investment in their mom and dad for Christmas. And and it 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 wasn't the gift that meant as much as the effort did. You you notice here that. It doesn't say how much. Paul doesn't say in verse number 18, you have to give it this level if God's going to be pleased with it. It's not what he says. He says that your sacrifice, your investment, whatever level it is, it doesn't matter how it compares to other people's investment. That's one of the great mistakes and burdens that people put on themselves. How do I compare to this person and how does mine measure up to this person? It doesn't matter. What matters is that you be faithful to do what God expects you to do. It's not about comparing how far you have to come or how much you give or what talent you have to invest. The point isn't to compare, the point is to be able to say before God, I know I have some confidence that I'm investing in in God and in His work and in the lives of people in a way that would be pleasing to Him. Man, we can be so encouraged that when we do that, He He values it. He's not some kind of indifferent ogre that says, okay, you you could have done better. Well, maybe there are times when we could do better. But he, he is pleased with, he's honored with our investment into his work in the lives of other people. So those are some things that encourage the Philippian believers. And the investment of God's people must be recurring. It has eternal implications, and it's pleasing to God. But there's a challenge here. Notice the verse in number 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We see this word need. The idea is this, that investment comes at a cost. Hey, we understand that taxes can be overbearing. And depending on what bracket you fall into, it gets increasingly overbearing. If you ever study a breakdown on how much certain products are taxed, it can, it can become very high. You understand that even with all that we have to deal with, man, people under the Roman rule had a much more oppressive government in certain ways. And there was great poverty, there was pestilence, there was great war. And there are some in our world today that can relate physically, and even with our our current struggles and whatever struggles might be ahead, in many ways we still have it so much better than most of the world has ever had it. But here's the truth that was true then, and it's true now, that investment is not free for the investor. If you're going to invest in something, it comes at a personal cost. Think about this. Jesus' investment came at a cost. It required him to leave the perfection of his throne and the perfect fellowship of his father for that brief moment on Calvary when he cried out, "My God, my God." It required him to submit himself to an im to a limited flesh and to feel all the pains And uh, all of the weaknesses of a human body, it required him to to endure pain and to feel loneliness and deprivation. His investment in our eternal salvation came at a great cost. Paul's investment came at a cost. He said, I count all things as dung that I may win Christ. You know, he suffered greatly at the hands of people he loved and he ministered. And for us investment in God's work, investment in the eternity of people, investment in the life of a church will come at a cost. It'll cost us opportunities. Just logically, if you're going to invest in the life of a church like you ought to, there are other things that you're not going to be able to invest as much in. It'll there will be a cost financially. To follow Jesus Christ, there will be a cost to your reputation. And there will, there will come a time, and, and it's already happening, where the smears against the people of God who try to stand for Him and try to follow Him, uh, they will take, they, there will be an intensity, an increasing intensity of those. And sometimes those smears and uh, those hostilities come from people who name the name of Jesus Christ. And it sometimes will cost relationships. Jesus talked about this, how that there will be divisions in homes. There will be divisions in friendships because one person decides to follow Jesus Christ. Or one, one friend or one acquaintance decides to stand for truth and it can cause a loss of relationship. It will cause suffering. Do not, do not buy into this false idea that the American dream is somehow always going to continue. Oh, there is a kingdom that is eternal. And there is a world that is at war with that kingdom. The kingdom of God. And as this goes on, it's already happening for God's people in other places of the world. But there might be an increasing cost of suffering for God's people. In some cases, it even costs God's people their lives. Investment in, God, in God's work, investment in people's lives... Comes at a cost. But here's the divine promise God will supply. Notice some characteristics of his supply in verse number 19. I like the way Paul makes him, makes him personal, but my God. God is not just some powerful force that nobody can know. He's your God if you're saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ, He's not this unknowable force that you can't approach. He tells you what, so much of what he is in the word of God. And I'm not saying that you can comprehend all of it. He's beyond that. He, he fills the void that is eternity. He holds the waters of the world in his hand. He knows the stars by name. He knows every grain of sand and every hair on every head. He's, a, he's an incredible God. But we are able to know him and not just to know about him. We, can, we have a relationship with him. I understand it's by faith, but I can say he's my God. He's not just the God. He's my God. He is God to me. Meaning that he's not just powerful, but all of his holiness and his righteousness and his love and his provision, I have access to because he's my God. Notice these characteristics. His supply is based on his wisdom. My God shall supply all your need. Now, there's a difference between need and want. Hey, we need we need vehicles. We want certain types of vehicles. I need a reliable car. I want certain kinds of vehicles. You understand what that's like. You know, we need food. We want certain types of food. We need clothes. We want certain types of clothes. We need shelter and homes. We want certain types. No, you're with me, aren't you? Like, I need food. I want Taco Bell. I need hamburgers. I don't, I don't want no in and out I want Freddy's, hallelujah. Brother Z is pouting back there right now. No, I'm kidding about that. His supply is based on his wisdom. He knows, he recognizes, we need to recognize the difference between our need and our want. But also, we need to recognize this difference, what he knows we need. And what we think we need. You know sometimes we limit. That part of that truth. To just need versus want. But God knows what we need. Better than what we know we need. And sometimes we think. We really need certain things. Just like Paul thought. God I need you to take this thorn. In my flesh away. But sometimes God knows. What we need. And sometimes he allows us. Rather than delivering us from the affliction, He allows us to go through the affliction so that we understand more of His grace and so that He can make us more useful to Him and draw us closer to Him. His need is based on His wisdom, or His supply is based on His wisdom. Number two, His supply is based on His resources. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, His riches, His supply... He owns the cattle on a, uh, he, the cattle. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His supply is inexhaustible. No, he's got it. I haven't stopped praying about the future of West Valley Baptist Church. I don't know what's going to happen. It's a good cause for some pause and concern. But I'm I'm still praying about the next location if the Lord's willing. I haven't given up praying about that. And, and I'm thankful for the remodeling that continues to go on and excited after its completion for everyone to be able to enjoy it and see it and us grow into it and utilize it. But, man, I'm, I'm still praying that God would not just allow us to buy something, but give us something, amen, because he can do it. You say, well, why would you ask for something like that? Because it's not based on what we have. He's got an abundance that is inexhaustible. And I love how we have access to it through Jesus Christ. Christ, many of you have bank accounts, and you have an account number. If you give that account number to someone, that account number gives them access to the resources that you have in that bank. Jesus Christ is is our access to God's account. I don't have access to God's resources because I am worthy of it. I have access to it because I've been made worthy through Jesus Christ and through Him. I have the authority, I have the grace and mercy, I have the boldness, and I have the access to come to God for His abundant supply. And He can give you what you need. Number two, His supply is sufficient. Many times we think that we cannot be satisfied with less than what we want or what we think we need. It's one of the great lessons our children have to learn and moms and dads you need to be aware of this your children need to learn that they can be they can be sustained by less than what they want or think they need but it's not just our children that have to learn that we have to be reminded of that you know sometimes God's not going to give us exactly what we want when or God's not going to give us what we want ever Because he has a different purpose and a different plan. But whatever his supply is, whether it's the need in whole, or the need in part, or the need a different way, or it's grace like he gave to Paul to deal with the absence of that supply. Whatever it is, this is what we know. That his supply, his grace, will always be sufficient. That's what Paul found. Here's the statement. The provision of God enables the consistent investment of God's people. We did not talk about, and we haven't said, how much or what, just that you should be investing. But the danger is that through the fluctuations of life, you will quarantine your investment in God or in people. Can I just talk about what's going on with us right now? This won't be the last thing that we go through. I'll talk about this again, but we are foolish to think that the people who are trying to take more and more power in our government, are just all of them are just going to gladly give that up. Now, Whatever you might think about all of this, there is no doubt that this, this is being used politically to promote an agenda. We don't know what other trials might come. We don't know what other challenges might come. And people talk about when things get back to normal. We have no idea what things are going to look like in three months, in six months. We have no idea how long this is going to go. You have no idea personally the challenges that might be around the corner tomorrow or next month or next year. We don't know as a church how everything is going to look. We We don't know the things that are going to happen. This won't be the last challenge that we face. Something is going to happen and trials will come as a result. And many times God's people say, I just don't have opportunity to invest. But for most of God's people, it's not a question of opportunity. It's a matter that we quarantine our own investment because because of the cost or because of the effort or because we're just not passionate about it. So as we consider that the provision of God enables the consistent investment of God's people, let me ask you two questions. Has your investment been quarantined? Remember the two words for our teams, awareness and accountability. I I don't care what the government says about staying home. God does not give his people permission to not care about one another and not invest in one another. And where it's right and appropriate, we ought to cooperate. And we ought to understand the implications and the lines of submitting to every, let every soul be subject to the higher power. But there is a higher power, and he never gives us permission not to care about and invest in people or in the work of God. Has your investment been quarantined, or could it be quarantined because of sin in your life? It's not as though we don't face temptation right now. Has your investment in God been quarantined because of other, other focuses, other passions that are beginning to become more important to you than the work of God? I'm not talking, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have other passions, but it's wrong to ha, it's wrong to let other passions become more important than the things God says should be important in your life. Maybe you've quarantined your investment just because you're spiritually lazy or Maybe, maybe it's because there hasn't been opportunity. and You need to trust God to give you that opportunity. Number two, do you struggle to trust God's supply? Sometimes we don't invest because we're afraid. You're never going to know how God can help you until you, until you step out in faith and do what he wants you to do. Maybe you're struggling with God's supply because it's not the supply you want. It's not the money that you want, or it's not the health that you want, or it's not the object or the opportunity that you want. It's not the thing that you want. It's not the relationship that you want. And so you struggle, not because he isn't willing to give grace or supply, it's just not the supply that you want. So maybe you need to ask him to help you trust him and accept what he gives you. However God is dealing with you tonight, we need to make sure we don't quarantine our investment in the lives of people, in the work of God. This truth should be an encouragement to us, and it's summed up with this, the provision of God enables the consistent investment of God's people. So are you trusting His supply, or are there some things in your life where you've limited your investment because of other circumstances or things that should not be limiting it? Let's all stand together for a time of prayer and invitation. However God has spoken to your heart, if you've, if you've limited your investment for any number of reasons, I didn't, even, I didn't talk about this, I'll mention this, some people limit their investment because they got hurt somewhere. Like, man, I invested in people and this hurt me. Because this hurt me, and I don't, I don't want to invest in people. You're, Jesus got hurt by people. Paul got hurt by people. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get disappointed. Well, this, it, it, I made this effort. And it didn't turn out like I wanted it to. That's going to happen sometimes. But have you quarantined your investment? Number two, are you struggling to trust God's supply in your life? Say, I. I will invest when I know everything will be okay. God doesn't doesn't give us that guarantee with every area of our life. He expects us to trust him that he's going to take care of us no matter what, help us no matter what. And he doesn't tell us how that's going to look. Just that we're supposed to continue to invest and to trust him. And if we're going to get back to the work of God in in the days ahead, the people of God, please hear this, the people of God, are going to have to learn how to invest without a guarantee of knowing how everything is going to go. We have to be able to trust God's supply in our life. So if God has spoken your heart tonight while Brother Adam sings, you respond to him. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith too. You cannot have rest or be purged. Father, thank you very much for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to assemble. Lord, thank you for your people. And I pray that you would bless them the rest of this week and continue to guide us and to help us as we work through these times. Lord, help us to trust you and help us to continue to care for and to love you, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to love a world that, to love the people in this world who are so desperate and desperately in need of you. And God, as you give us opportunity, help us to be aware of them and to be looking for them to invest in the lives of people in the ways that we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I sure do appreciate you. Thank you for being with us tonight. I look forward to being with you on Sunday. Looking forward to uh, the Mother's Day pictures and uh, giving some honor to our moms and to all women. Moms are not that invest in the lives of people and so thankful for that and appreciate the ladies that God has blessed us with. And so looking forward to that. hope you have a great week. God bless you. Continue to be aware of one another. Continue to be accountable. And uh, let's continue to trust God to do his work in the lives of all of us and to keep our church moving forward. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Good night.